You're listening to Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi, the podcast where we think about what can be possible in our lives. The contents of this podcast and website are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition and before undertaking any diet, dietary supplement, exercise, or other health program. And now, here's the host of the show, Dr. Michelle Choi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. So excited about today's show. I found the postpartum period incredibly challenging especially with my first child. And this was a child that I so badly wanted, but I don't think I had any clue in regards to how hard it was going to be. We had tried for so long for our first baby, and I've wanted to become a mother my whole life. However, during the postpartum period, I experienced baby blues and a higher level of anxiety. After a woman delivers her baby, there occurs a sudden decrease in estrogen and progesterone on top of the physical changes to her body, and this can lead to a greater sense of stress, causing a new mother to feel overwhelmed, fearful, and anxious. And when your body has just delivered a baby, it literally feels raw. But you're expected to just start acting like a mother when you're not physically well yourself. Sitting and walking is an adjustment. You're given numbing spray and a squirt bottle to fill with warm water to use after you urinate. I was afraid to poop because I was concerned that all of my insides were going to come out. And on top of that, you have the environmental stressors. I don't think I quite understood how bad sleep deprivation was until after I had my baby. Initially, I was too afraid to sleep because I was afraid something would happen. Then, I had difficulty sleeping with the baby in the room because I could always hear the baby's noises and I had a hard time turning my brain off. And for first-time mothers, there's a feeling of wanting to do the right thing for your baby to protect him or her, but not necessarily knowing what that right thing is exactly. There is an awareness of how fragile and vulnerable a baby is, and sometimes this awareness can feel enormous. And then breastfeeding. Oh my God, breastfeeding. How lousy I felt about myself when my milk production was very, very low. And well, it never got better. I would produce an ounce of milk from both breasts when some women were able to get five ounces from one breast I would cry silently as I had the breast pumps attached to me, trying to suck every little last bit of milk from me as blisters appeared on my nipples. I can say this in a matter-of-fact way now, but back then, it really made me feel awful. I felt horrible about myself, and in my neurotic head, I associated the lack of milk production with being a bad mother. Seriously, all these false and irrational beliefs that I held on to, and they hurt me. There are pressures from society that we feel, and the other truth is, I had just given birth to a baby physically, and I wasn't feeling myself. My hormones were abruptly dropping, and I wasn't sleeping, eating, and was feeling so stressed in order to survive with my new child. 
And this is what perhaps surprised me the most. No one warned me or talked about how difficult a postpartum period was, which I found excruciating. I sort of wish someone had sat me down and seriously warned me so that I could maybe mentally prepare, the knowing that some serious hardship was to come. I've never babysat. I walked around the house with the same clothes on for three days, full of stains, unable to shower as I was too overwhelmed and tired. I remember when my mother had come to visit us. Granted, this perhaps was a clear sign for me that there were some underlying issues brewing. She asked me if I had come as in semen on my pants. <laughs> when William was born and came home, my husband was smart enough to point out that we weren't eating. And after the first initial days, he had two large pizzas delivered to us so that it would last us several days as we pondered what the hell had happened to us. And just in case you didn't know, there is a newly described fourth trimester. We know that there are three trimesters of pregnancy. The fourth trimester is a time between birth and 12 weeks postpartum. And perhaps this is the period where I wonder if women are most neglected as a mother. When women are thinking about conceiving, they're recommended to take a prenatal vitamin, which contains at least 400 micrograms of folic acid to prevent major birth defects in the baby's brain and spine. When a woman is pregnant, there's prenatal visits, ultrasounds, lab tests, and sometimes nutrition and social work consultations. In the final month of pregnancy, the visits are weekly. After birth, the close attention is given to the newborn, and the mom's single postpartum visit occurs at six to eight weeks after childbirth. And on a piece of paper or survey, you fill out a questionnaire which asks you about symptoms concerning for postpartum depression or anxiety. If you don't answer honestly on that piece of paper, no one may follow up. This is a long and vulnerable interval in which to figure it out on your own while you deal with the physical, emotional, and spiritual realities of being a new mother. I was overjoyed to be a new mom, but at the same time, there was a huge component where that period also really sucked. I loved my baby, but I was equally overwhelmed. It's like you would go to sleep exhausted and you would wake up feeling better, but then you realize you have another full day in front of you caring for someone when you feel totally depleted. While there is a greater awareness that postpartum depression occurs, which affects 10 to 15% of women, postpartum anxiety also exists. It can affect 10% of new mothers, so it's more common than you think. And while all new mothers experience excessive hormonal changes, it is thought that in those who develop postpartum anxiety, it may be related to that individual's brain chemistry response to the hormones. And some could have a combination of both depression and anxiety. For those with postpartum anxiety, they can feel like they have constant worry that can't be eased, feelings of dread, racing thoughts, even worsened sleep disruptions and panic attacks. And for some, Postpartum anxiety can take the form of OCD. Obsessions occur, which are intrusive thoughts about the baby. You may have obsessive recurring thoughts about harm or even death befalling your baby. 
Compulsions can occur, which are actions performed repeatedly to reduce fears, and it can involve constant checking things, counting, or cleaning. When I first met my friend Hannah, whom I'll be interviewing today, I didn't know that she was a postpartum doula. Considering how difficult the postpartum period is, I would have loved to have a postpartum doula help my husband, my firstborn, and me transition, while also helping my recovery process. But not all of us can afford a postpartum doula. But I hope that every new mother considers asking for help when your life suddenly changes like this. It's super, super tough. Sometimes we forget how tough it had been. But when it's time, ask for help or consider asking for help before it begins. Even though there is more awareness, there is still minimal support provided in the fourth trimester. You're lucky if you have a sane family member who wants to help you and consistently help you. But for many of us, I think we are really left alone and it's a lot to deal with and learn. I was so unprepared. It's healthful and helpful to raise awareness about the demands of motherhood and the risk for postpartum depression and anxiety. You can get treatment for postpartum depression and anxiety, but you have to tell someone. It's good to be honest about other issues as well. Urinary incontinence can occur after vaginal deliveries, and pelvic floor exercises and working with a physical therapist who specializes in the pelvic floor can help. Rehab is unfortunately not immediately offered. It was only after I started exercising years after that I noticed when my core was stronger, my urinary incontinence got better. You can seek breastfeeding support or you don't have to breastfeed and use formula. You should really try to sleep as much as possible. It's exhausting. And on today's show, we have Hannelore Kaiser de Guara. Hannelore came to the U.S. from her native Germany in 2007. She has been involved in the birth and postpartum community for the last 12 years as a La Leche League leader and the birth and postpartum doula. She resides with her family and some animals in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Welcome, Hannah Kieser de Guara. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to Lost or Found. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. It's a pleasure. And before we begin, can you tell us about yourself? Um, yeah, sure, I can. I um, originally am from Germany, born and raised, and I came to the States in 2007. My husband's American. We um, have four children, and I've been in the postpartum and lactation field on and off for the last 10 years or so. So Wonderful. And what inspired you to become a postpartum doula? What inspired me, um, that's a really good question. What, what inspired me is that I needed one and I couldn't have one. When I had my first babies in Germany, I really um, would have loved to have a, a postpartum doula when I didn't know what it was called. But someone like that because um, we moved a lot we were never really rooted in any community didn't never had we never had a strong support network anywhere and um, in in Germany and I know this is true in other countries as well the midwife will come and check on you the first 10 days postpartum and she'll provide 
medical care for you and the baby and check on your healing and breastfeeding and your emotional health, um, which is absolutely fabulous. And um, it's a great system. I couldn't commend it enough, but it, the visits are short by nature because she, you know, she has to move on to her other clients and she has to attend births. And so um, it's about 20 minutes, half an hour a visit. And I always uh, felt it was over too soon and I wanted her to stay with me. And I was very isolated. And Do they talk lonely. with you? Of course. Yes. Uh-huh. Definitely. And they're lovely. I had um, great experiences with that system, but it's not the postpartum Doula care is is quite different, and we can talk about that, um, as you know, over the course of this interview. Anyway, that's how it got started. I really wanted one. I was researching online. I found that it doesn't exist in Germany at this time. Maybe it does now. It didn't when I lived there. Um, and when I came to the states, I found that they had them, and they were called called postpartum doulas. And so I, you know, jumped onto that train pretty quickly. After having moved here, so yeah. Where were your kids born? Three of my my boys were all born in Germany, mm-hmm. and so I had that experience three times, and then my daughter was born in the United States. Yeah, because I think you know, like um, childbirth, having your child in the U.S. is so isolating. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most difficult periods, and I think there's such little support. You mm-hmm. know, like follow up care is. Within six weeks with your that's doctor. Right. Yeah, that's right. But, um, you know, like when you're discharged from the hospital, you only have that 24-hour visit to bring your baby into the hospital to get the baby weighed, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy. It's uh, Those first six weeks are actually such a sensitive, crucial time period um, for the newborn and the, uh, the birth mother that um, it's too much of a gap in care. There's a massive gap in care. And I'm going to quote a statistic, so I'm going to read it and make sure I don't get it wrong. Um, in the U.S., 40% of maternal deaths from beginning of pregnancy through the first year after birth occur in the 42 days postpartum. And according to the CDC, two-thirds of this these deaths are preventable. Yeah, those numbers are huge. They are huge. And so um, there's, there's a massive gap in care between the point when... Um, mother and baby leave the hospital to the next time they see a professional. Yeah. Considering it's such a vulnerable time and crucial time and the lack of support. Yeah. And you said, historically, you mentioned that um, women can go into the hospital to have their babies weighed. It's office visit, you know? Yeah. Off into the office to have their babies weighed, but like, you know, just the act of leaving the house with a newborn baby and your body, you know, still recovering from childbirth and you're emotionally adjusting um, as well is, is a lot to ask. It's, it should be the case that the healthcare professional comes to the home to weigh the baby and check on them. And not that the mother and baby and the family has to leave their home to go on a, those trips, they, they seem so insignificant for everybody else but for a postpartum family those are big endeavors it's a lot to ask you bring up a really beautiful point because it's so hard like when you've survived your first night and you're getting that baby into the car seat Mm -hmm. and everything they need and you don't know what they need right 
to make that car ride is yeah. really overwhelming. Yeah. That car ride can be very interrupted. Some babies like the car. Some babies do not. Yeah. Uh, stopping every two minutes. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And then it's also just the time, you know, that your whole body is adjusting and it, it shouldn't have to happen. You shouldn't have to deal with that. And don't you feel like as a new mom or a new dad, when you're at home for the first night with your baby, it's like deer with headlights. Yes. You don't know. And I, I mean, my first night, I was really afraid I was going to kill my child. Oh, okay. How? Because <laughs> I didn't know what those cries meant. <gasps> yeah. I never changed a diaper before. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's different when yes. you change a diaper on a doll versus mm -hmm. an actual baby. Yes. A wriggly, writhy baby. You don't yeah. even know what poop is really supposed to look yes. like. Yeah. And that's just about the time when they're, you know, poop changes from meconium yeah. to um, baby poop. And there's so many things happening, so many new things happening every single day. It changes all the time that um, to just abandon the new family in that situation is pretty, it's a lot. And I was a parent because as a doctor in the hospital, I was given advice that when you have a baby for the nights, you put them in the nursery. Like I didn't have that, my baby in my room. Oh gosh. Okay. And then that actually, you know, I was happy at that moment, but then when you're home alone, your first night with the baby, it really is your first night. And I was actually really scared to sleep. Yeah. And you, then you have that appointment. <laughs> yeah. You might have slept better if he had been in the room with you. Because you wouldn't you know, have, you know, been no trying to listen yeah. and stay up the whole night. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of things um, where the postpartum doula can help you with her presence, with information that is evidence-based, with non-judgmental support. And she can just be a soft place to land. You know, during those first few weeks, I she love can that. cushion that impact a little bit for you. Because I think it's maybe like a cultural thing, but in our society today, I mean, everyone loves like the pregnant woman. They're mm -hmm. doting. I mean, men yes. move, get out of yes. their seats, you know, right? Yes. Like how chivalrous, right? Yeah. But then when a woman has a child, yes, you're almost like dead to the world. We're very much <laughs> focused on the pregnancy and the, and the birth. Yeah. Sort of very event focused. And then. Like I've never felt so alone. Yeah. The postpartum period is. You kind of fall off the radar. In totally. a lot of ways. And so. Uh, as doulas. We really like. Meeting with potential clients. Before baby arrives. Right. So we oh, can. Wow. Really get to meet them. And their situation. And get to know each other a little bit. And. Um, talk about. The first few days and weeks and what they might look like. Um, How far in advance before the baby arrives does the postpartum doula work with the mother? That depends on the situation, mm -hmm. you know, depends on if it's a difficult pregnancy or multiple preg pregnancy with multiples or uh, some other medical issues. But I would say usually in the last trimester at some point, and it can be one or two visits. It doesn't have to be a lot. Mm -hmm. But... Oftentimes what does end up happening is that families get in touch with us after the baby is born because they hadn't realized what a, you know, massive transition it would be and they'd underestimated how much help they would need. 
And so a lot of the phone calls that postpartum doulas get are do happen after childbirth. Yeah. When it gets really to when the there already is point. a lot of yeah, there's already a lot of there might already be a lot of mm-hmm. problems that could have been prevented yeah. with earlier contact and earlier visits. I think there's more awareness, but I think the postpartum period is so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, and like culturally, for other cultures, women are supported by women, like mm-hmm. you know, or you have your mother. Hopefully, she's sane, living with you for thirty days. But sometimes that could be very difficult. But or you know, like the the idea of like the red tent. You know that book by Anita Diamante, mm-hmm. where when you give birth to your child, you're in this red tent with other women. Yes. But you're in there for like thirty days, mm-hmm. surrounded by womanhood. Yeah. And you're allowed to sleep, or someone else will hold your child. Yeah. But in our society today, you're so alone. You're isolated in the industrial world, industrialized societies. We are cut off from those communities a lot and we have to intentionally recreate communities but if we move around a lot there's not much time for that um to really connect with other people and And that community should not be underestimated like i think we need connections when we're i mean postpartum (laughs) postpartum is certainly harrowing to do by yourself yeah um and that's one of the things like as a postpartum daughter we give only non-medical support okay so we do not give any medical advice or you know inspect wounds or any such thing we do um we do refer clients we have a very extensive referral network Mm -hmm. that um when we notice that things are askew we will refer you out to a professional um, so we're always monitoring mm-hmm. for for that. Um, May I ask you, mm-hmm. how common is baby blues and depression for new moms? So there's a big distinction between baby blues and depression or postpartum anxiety. Okay, those two things are quite different. So what's commonly known as baby blues is something that happens in the first within the first 10 days after childbirth, usually around the time that your milk comes in. So it will be around day three postpartum your hormones change you have a massive plunge in estrogen and women become quite weepy they can become quite weepy and just very emotional and cry a lot and that's perfectly fine as your breast milk is coming yes out. yes wow. that's perfectly fine it's just part and parcel mm-hmm. of the postpartum period if that weepiness sort of lasts for more than a couple of weeks and then there maybe there's despondency or there is inability to sleep or to eat high anxiety that lasts for more than a couple of weeks you really um want to talk to a professional because that's when you might be dealing with um postpartum depression or anxiety which is very 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 treatable so i would encourage anybody who is worried about that to seek out help um because, like, as I said, is it is basically almost always treatable. Sometimes in our society, we don't talk about things. Do you see that much more in your practice than one would think? Like postpartum depression and anxiety? Mm, you know, I think we have recently started to talk about it more. I think there's a lot more awareness now than certainly than there was 10 years ago. 
I I feel also I feel like OBGYNs are a lot more aware of it nowadays. Mm-hmm. And it's really something that is talked about for the most part more openly. And there's not as much stigma around it anymore, which is great. It's really great. We do see it regularly, but you know, you might also think that the samples that we have are self-selecting in a way because the people that come and ask for postpartum help are oftentimes people that are in need on special situations, et, yeah. cetera, et cetera. And they may already be aware yeah, of how exactly, they're feeling. Exactly. So, um, and doing something. I would about say it. that's probably not a representative yeah. sample there. May I ask you, what does a postpartum doula do? Um, so as I have already mentioned, we provide non-medical support. We provide um, companionship for the mother. Um, we help with baby care. Like we, we can educate you. We uh, educate, you know, on how to bathe a baby, diaper changes, changes with the umbilical cord in the early days. We can help you learn to read your baby's behavior and get to know your baby better. We can help um, just cushion the impact of the first few days, provide you with good nutrition, make sure you eat regularly, make sure you eat healthily, make sure you get that shower in. Take the baby so you can sleep if you've had a a rough night. Mm -hmm. Some postpartum doulas provide overnight support as well. Um, So you can catch a break, especially with multiples. There is... I love that. Yeah. So how long are the... big issue. How long are your visits then with the client? Um, That depends, but it's usually a minimum of... I would say a minimum of two to three hours wow probably more like four hours and it might not be every day Mm -hmm. um a lot of that has to do with your needs and unfortunately also your ability to pay um a lot of times postpartum support's not covered by insurance although that is changing and things are looking up so um but ideally it would be a few times a week for at least four hours that's so beautiful. So you can spend, you can really get an insight into the, into the day and into how the situation is at 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 home, and be there for enough time to, mm-hmm. you know, take care of the family and mother the mother. That's kind of one of yeah. the things that we always say is as postpartum doulas, we mother the mother. I mean, how important is that during this like really vulnerable, crazy time in one's life as you, your life is turned upside down. Yes. And I know you mentioned this earlier, but the idea that we're a modern society, you know, we move away from our families. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, you know, even though it's great to be be in a certain place like California, you, you're alone. Yes. And sometimes our parents don't want to help us. Yeah. And we're very self-sufficient. So society yeah. we we tend to pride ourselves in our self-sufficiency and in our ability to control every aspect of our lives and then when you have a new baby come into the situation the baby doesn't know that yeah. the baby works on very primordial instincts or and even the parents it don't know that. doesn't know it doesn't know about schedules and it doesn't know you know it doesn't know any of that. So you that's when you realize when it really hits home that you need support. You need community. You cannot do this alone. 
when I think about my postpartum period, like I don't think I've ever cried so much in my life mm-hmm. until I had my first baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had survived residency and I really thought before my baby came that because I survived that hell called residency, like mm-hmm. working 36 hour shifts, that I could do it. But the difference is when you're done with your shift, you get to go home and sleep continuously for 10 or 12 hours. Yes. While with a baby, yep. the baby, like, doesn't really ever turn off. Even nope. when they're, like, sleeping, you're still kind of on because yes. you're hyper aware. You are. And you're nervous and you're stressed out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a whole different realm. Yes. It's a it's a realm where you are not in control yeah. at all. And so I think an important part that the postpartum doulas can play is to help the parents get to know their baby and to be able to relax with their baby and to find that sweet spot mm-hmm. where you are not just constantly constantly anxious anymore, right? Where you actually enjoy your baby. Yeah. And uh, a lot of us, I think, missed out on that, especially in our first children, um, and where it's just stressful. And that's really unfortunate because it can be, it can have many sweet parts as well. Yeah, and sometimes it's so confusing too, you know. Yeah. The whole idea of yeah, it's just so confusing, but to have someone help you through it or even like when your child is born, mm-hmm. you don't know your child, you know. No. What your it's child was in utero, yes. now that it's screaming or crying, it's yes. totally different. Yeah. And there's a period where you have to get to know your child or know yes. what those cries mean. Yeah. Or know what certain poops mean or what's normal or not. Like, yes. It takes forever to figure out what's normal. Yes. And it's a new normal, right? It's a different, uh, there's all that new stuff with the baby, but also you yourself are not the same person. Yeah. I mean, childbirth changes us emotionally, but it also changes us physically in a lot of ways. I mean, our bodies are different. But even our brains are different, as they've discovered now that a mother's brain is not the same as the person who's not given birth. And so it's a fundamental shift to a whole new identity. And it, especially the first time around, and it takes a year or two to be comfortable in that, in that new role, you know, on all levels, socially, emotionally, physically, all the things. Um, and the first few weeks of that transition are the most critical. Yeah. You bring up a really important point that our brains are different. Yes, after they are. We yes, they are. Have a child because we're so hard on ourselves. Yes. You know, after we've had that child, like it's like almost like an enemy period where we're so awful to ourselves sometimes about having done certain things or not. Yeah. You know, it, Especially, like, even, like, there's so many issues, right? Like, breastfeeding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's such a difficult topic. It is difficult. When I've never cried so much about anything except breastfeeding. Oh, yeah. It is. It's something that we always assume just comes naturally, you know. And you were saying it takes three to all five the, days. All the mammals do it, right? Yeah. So our dogs can do it. So we think, hey, this should be. But actually, in humans and in many of the great apes as well, it's mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of it is learned behavior. And it doesn't come nearly as easily, especially if we've never seen many people breastfeed or we don't really know much about it. We have no not much actual experience with nursing children. And 
sometimes it can be hard to let go yes of that you know and especially if the breast milk comes in three to five days like I felt like I gave up (laughs) (laughs) during that period Uh uh-huh and the guilt that I felt about giving my baby's formula yeah there is many many ways of parenting and each family is unique and as a doula we try to approach every situation in a non-judgmental way and we try to leave our own assumptions at the door which everybody has them everybody has their own assumptions and that's perfectly fine but you leave them at the door when you enter a new a new household to support and there is many many good ways to parent right there's many bad ones there is some bad ones like viol- anything that involves violence that drug abuse you know um those things but aside from the aside from that every family is trying to find their own way and their own rhythm with this very unique child with these very unique individuals that are in this particular family and so we try to instill confidence in the parents to make their own choices because essentially we're trying to work ourselves out of a job and to equip them with the information and the support that they need to become confident and self-assured in their parenting, to make their own decisions and to own their own decisions. And oftentimes, we talked about this as well, that there is there is many little griefs in the postpartum period, many things that you have to let go of, right? Aside from big, quote-unquote, big issues like, you know, the death of a child or a, a miscarriage, there's little ones that you might have to let go of the dream of this perfect breastfeeding journey that you had envisaged or this perfect birth that you didn't have right or maybe you have a child that has um has a disability so you have to let go of the idea of the perfect quote-unquote child Mm -hmm. and accept the child that you have and love that learn to love the child that you have and so um yeah so there's a lot of things there's a lot of things a lot of adjustments yeah it's such a difficult period there's no one way. There's no, no. one answer. No. Even to, like you say, like to honor how you feel. Mm-hmm. Yes, To absolutely. grieve yes. as long mm-hmm. as you need to yeah. so that you can make it to that next day. Because even with like, yeah, breastfeeding, that may be for you or not, you mm-hmm. know. But I feel like it's really shifted in the last mm, 10 years or so. 20 years it's shifted away from... Breastfeeding, breastfeeding used to be the exception, right? That's how organizations like La Leche League, um, Nursing Mothers Council, got started because there was no support for breastfeeding out there. Yeah. And so women would get mocked for attempting to breastfeed their children. And now it's completely swung around almost to the point where um, we know when, you've, when you're seen feeding, giving your child a bottle in the park, you, get, you might be getting mm-hmm. judgment from other people. But I often wonder how much of that judgment is actually coming from other people and how much of it is in our own heads. No. That's really true. Yeah. You know, like, like how much of it is like Dr. Sne- Dr. Seuss's sneeches versus mm-hmm. you're at a very vulnerable time in your life yeah. where, you know, your hormones are changing as well. Yes. And it's hard to ignore the unsolicited advice. Yes. 
yeah, about or say no to it. Not having stars on bars. Yeah, <laughs> it's very the um, guilt. You know the guilt. Yeah, that you get a lot of advice and a lot of it. In my experience, comes from a place of love. The people who are giving the unsolicited advice um, are well-meaning. They might be worried about you. You know, they're really trying. It's their way of trying to help, and it's not helpful. It most mostly does not come from a place of judgment. But as a new parent, new mother, you are so sensitive to anything that is being said. You know, any comment that's being made, you mull it over in your mind. And so if we enter a household with a new baby, we have to tread very, very lightly and be very mindful of what we say. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely a state of hyper awareness, you know, Yes, that has there's evolutionary reasons for that. It's it makes a lot of sense for new parents, new mothers to be hyper aware of their surroundings at all times because they have a very vulnerable uh, being to take care of right? we need to we need to be hyper vigilant in a certain way it's when and it's a good thing but when that good thing becomes too much becomes bad when it turns into postpartum anxiety for example so it's one of the things you have to keep an eye on totally because i think yeah. you know with the postpartum period you know you're kind of on those train tracks you're like very close to the border where Sometimes that hyper awareness could go into like a really bad place if you're not uh -huh. careful. Yes, uh -huh. like that's that you know taking in, being aware of like the judgment or the judgment of thyself. Yeah, you know we're so mm -hmm. hard on ourselves. We are very hard on on ourselves. I believe that. Yeah, true. and then it's a period where sometimes we're not given the help, but we also don't ask for help. Yeah, when that's something that everyone I think really needs. Like I sound mm -hmm. like the Debbie Downer too. My friends who are about to deliver, because everyone mm -hmm. loves, like, the pregnant woman. They're yes. like, oh, new baby, baby shower coming in. But I tell them, it's one of the hardest periods of my life. Like, yes. I've never cried so much. Yeah. I just want you to know <laughs> that I've never cried so much. Well, you're just being realistic. And I think it's a good thing. You could, you should say, oh, so what are your plans for, for after the baby comes? Have you thought about that? Yeah. And there might be like some blank stares. <laughs> what? After the baby comes? What do you mean? No, I'm joking. Well, I'm only half. It's really I'm half, half joking. But it really is like that neglected mm -hmm. phase. Yes, it totally is. Like, fall off the radar. Fall off the radar. Yes. Yeah, the fourth trimester. It's right. That's right. It's called the fourth trimester. It's the last, it's the about the three months after yeah. the baby is born. So we divide the pregnancy into trimesters. First, as every pregnant mother would probably know. And then what we add another trimester at the end because human babies are born in a state of great neurological immaturity so they are very 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 needful in in those early months and weeks they can't do, they can't do anything by themselves much mm -hmm. really you mean so the babies the babies right? yeah the babies they're very very dependent mm -hmm. still and um they're very in a lot of ways still dependent on the mother on on her body in many ways they've been hearing her heartbeat for nine months they've been you know hearing the rushing of her blood through her body they've been hearing her voice so the body of the mother in many ways is still the home of the infant so which is why it's oftentimes it's called a mother baby diet because they still they're still connected that in uh, physiologically um you know we found that 
the baby being on the mother's body regulates the baby's temperature. It regulates the baby's heart rate. All of those. Like ways. the baby remembers. The baby, yeah. And the, the, the body of the mother creates an environment that's specific. For example, the place here on your chest um, regulates the baby's temperature when the baby is placed there. It's a, it's crazy. It's really, um, really crazy. And so um, in a good way. And then there's all the changes that happen to the woman's body after childbirth, which are manifold. So the period is really sensitive and we support, we try to support mothers through that period. And so if you have a friend who is pregnant, you might ask, what are your plans for the postpartum period? And what is your support system that you have set up for that time? And um, you might suggest them looking into getting a postpartum doula. I think that's like a very important point that you bring up because I think that's the phase or that's a trimester that's not really honored enough. No. That's actually, yes. I think that's the most difficult yes. trimester because it's one thing when your baby's growing inside of you mm-hmm. and they're not crying. <laughs> but, and then when they come out, it's like, wow, you know, what happened? You yes, know, and there's yes. An, there's a time period to acclimate to what yes. happened. And I think our healthcare system doesn't really honor that fourth trimester period. Yeah. Yeah. If the first visit is six weeks postpartum. Yes. When a lot can happen. Yes. During that period. There's a lot of, you know, bad stuff's already happened at that point. Yeah. And, and you're just doing damage control, which a lot of, where they always say prevention is the best medicine, right? And prevention isn't practice no, in medicine. On many levels, yeah. and uh, and uh, in in this one either. So it's a it's a big deal. When I had my baby, you know, I felt really alone. But my friend, you know, she was part of a yoga group, mm-hmm. you know, and they she would sit in a circle with other mothers breastfeeding mm-hmm. to feel that connection and not feel socially isolated. Yeah. And have other mothers who are going through the same thing. That's huge. Yeah, we always try to encourage um, families to seek out community. Yeah. You know, once the they're physically healed enough and if they're breastfeeding, if that's established enough for them to go on longer outings, um, we encourage them to seek out new moms groups, yoga groups, mm-hmm. you know, lactation groups. There's so many ways in which community is made nowadays. And there's a lot out there. And it's very, very important to go this journey, travel this road with other families who are going through the same same thing. We, And the fourth trimester, I think, is a helpful concept also because it allows, your, allows you and your family to give yourselves grace, to basically say, we are not back to normal yet. That normal is going to be different anyways. Yeah. But it's going to be a new normal. We, it's going to be a new normal. It's going to be completely different. But we have time. We are still transitioning. We are adjusting. This is, you know, we don't have to look great or be perfect or fit in those clothes that we wore pre-pregnancy. Or we don't even have to leave the house. Hey, you know. Yeah. Give yourselves that, that grace. You're taking care of a whole new person and it's really hard to imagine for someone who doesn't have hasn't experienced this, but taking care of a newborn baby is practically a full time job. It is. Yeah, the amount of time that you spend just feeding them—they eat 
every two hours, every three hours. Some of them eat all the time, you know. Then it's it's hard to even find time to get in a shower or time to eat. And then, you know, sleep is a, there's been books written about sleep. Um, Much ink is spilled on that subject alone. And so it's an all-encompassing whirlwind where days and nights are the same. You don't really know what day it is. And I think that's why the fourth trimester is so shocking because yes. no one tells us this. <laughs> Even if they told you, you probably wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, you should be told, but it's also in many ways just something you have to experience. Yeah. You would just imagine like a stork dropping your baby in front of you <laughs> yes. and then the baby looks all clean. All neatly wrapped. Yes. Yes, nice. When sometimes it's like a real big mess. Mm-hmm. You know? They create a lot of laundry for being so very small. Yeah. Yes. And I love the idea of a doula because I think that's what's really needed in that very vulnerable time in one's life, in the baby and as well as the mom, as well as the father. Mm-hmm. Like someone to connect with and help you and tell you, to help you to interpret what all that stuff means. Mm-hmm. And to just see, you know, as as um, postpartum doulas, we are just sort of experts at normal, you know. We're kind of the jack of all trades of the newborn period so we can it's like baby whisperer oh yeah no (laughs) we can scan the environment and we can see if something is not right something is out of sync yeah but mostly we just help to normalize the whole experience for the family may i ask you what does a doula mean doula is actually a greek word comes from the greek word for servant and so it's, I think it's very fitting to describe our role because we are trying, to, it's it's a serving role. Mm-hmm. We are not the main actors in this um, situation. It's a new baby and the new family. And we, we try to work ourselves out of a job and making, every day making the family more confident in the choices that they make and the decisions that they make and more confident in their new roles as parents. And their um, adjustment to this new situation. And so, yeah, we are there to serve them and not to impose ourselves and our own, you know, ideas on them. Because you brought up some important points because, like, as a new parent, how much are they really sleeping? Or you could go through periods when you're not eating as the parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's all kinds of babies. There's babies who sleep a lot, and then there's babies who never seem to sleep, although they all obviously yeah. they do. But um, yeah. And there's it's like so stressful, you know. Yes. They say sleep when your baby sleeps, but sometimes that's really hard. Yeah, know? that's one of those pieces of of advice that is uh, very hard for a lot of new parents to accept. Yeah, it's one of those pieces of advice that is annoying, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned a little bit of this earlier, but what would a doula visit look like in the home? Um, so we would come in, you know, we would um, make sure we wash our hands and um, we just check on the whole situation. Usually you come and you check in with, um, you know, the mother and the baby and whoever else is at home, see what's going on with their day, to see how the night was. How are the feedings going? You know, you you ask questions like, have you slept? Have you showered? 
have you eaten? A lot of the times the answer to that will be no. So you make sure that those basic needs are covered. You might um, throw in a load of baby laundry um, to take care of that. You might um, cook some nutritious food for her and her family so that she makes sure there's snacks in the house. You know, you might give her some time alone to for just some basic self-care to take care of the baby while she sleeps. There's a lot of talking and crying and talking about the birth, talking about any feeding issues. Mm-hmm. If the mother is breastfeeding. Are a lot of women traumatized by the birth? Some. But even if you're not traumatized, it's such a big experience, you know, that people want to share about. And we check in with the other people in the household, older siblings. Um, how are they adjusting? What can we do to ease their transition into being big brother or sister? The dad or the other parent, how are they doing? How? What does it feel like for them? What do they need, you know? The dog, the, the poor dog, the neglected <laughs> pet during yes. that period. <laughs> pet, pet transition. Yeah. Um, so that's actually a thing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, th- there's many things. Usually the visit, if it's like four hours, is that's just about enough time to cover most of those things. And how many times do you usually go into the home in a week? Um, that really depends on the needs of the family. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> that can be every day. Mm-hmm. That can be usually starts out more often, maybe five times a week, and then you wean yourself down to yeah. two, three times, two times, one time, and then hopefully, you know, before those three months are out, you will be, you will have weaned off each other. It's like bringing stability into the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring stability and just let them fly. You know. Yeah. Because who wouldn't benefit from those connections or help? Yeah. You know, sometimes it's like as a new mom, you don't even know what you need help on. It's like so hard to describe. Yeah, there is. um, Sometimes you have family situation where you have very experienced mothers. Mm -hmm. They've had multiple children. They um, are still in need of help, but it's oftentimes more... Sort of they would ben- they would benefit from a, like a mother's helper or something mm-hmm. like that. But especially with parents that are having their first or second child, I think postpartum doula is a pretty good idea. And oftentimes money can be a problem because unfortunately it's not covered by most insurance plans, although there is progress being made. So it's worth you checking with your insurance. But a good idea... To finance something like that is to ask for it in your baby shower. Well, that's a great idea. Just to say, you know, instead of giving me yeah. stuff, um, I would like financial contribution towards yeah. um, postpartum postpartum support, for example. Because a lot of that baby stuff, we almost get too much yes. of it, and yeah. then it gets thrown out. That's right. While an actual investment, the baby doesn't need much stuff. And the doula can help you discern what do you actually need. Yeah. You know? Because sometimes you get this stuff to make sense of the behavior of the, you know, like the baby. Instead of maybe actually having someone walk you through it. Yeah. There's not, a newborn does not need very yeah. much. It's like, almost like getting your red tent. <laughs> 
in a little way, yeah, yeah. To not feel so yeah. alone in that really difficult time, I think that's yes. huge. Yeah, I think the feeling of isolation and abandonment are should be avoided if at all possible. How important is self care for a new mom? Because I feel like that's really, really neglected. Yeah, um, I would say very. Although it's going to look very different from self care before the baby is born, right? There is, um, and there's different levels, and they're all important. I mean, there's the basic physical one of getting enough sleep, um, getting good nutritious food into your body, making sure that um, your physical healing is going the way it should go, you know. But then there's also a spiritual need, and that doesn't have to be any formal religion, if but it can be as simple as having me time the mother you know or she might just need to get outside yeah or she might just need to go sit in the backyard and read a book for half an hour like without your child without yes (laughs) yes so postpartum doulas we're not baby nannies we don't take over the parenting Mm -hmm. you know we our job is to give the parents the tools that they need to become self-confident yeah parents but Making sure that you get your basic self-care needs met is is very important. Don't you feel like as like a new parent, like it's one thing when you have two adults living in the house and you mm-hmm. just clean up after two adults. But yes. once you have children, your house is like a permanent state of messiness yes. that you're like running after. People live in it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think when... <laughs> um, an, you know, a new mother's house is really clean. What do, is there something you... I wonder how that's possible sometimes. You know, it's definitely time to get off Instagram and stop looking at other people's houses, I would say. Um, just stay away from that. Um, I think generally the houses are messy because the baby's needs are so urgent all the time. The baby's needs are always immediate and they usually want to be held. So the time that you have... But your hands are free is very limited to create a super clean house. That's not really a big priority yeah. in, in the first few months. I really think it's a matter of survival. And that's what I like to t- yes. <laughs> tell new parents, you know. Yeah. I think sometimes if you've survived that day, yeah, like, good job. Yes. You've survived the day. Yeah, and have. sometimes it feels like hour by hour. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the more stressful it gets, the more the shorter increments of time you have to look at, right? Sometimes looking at whole week ahead can be overwhelming for a person in a stressful yeah. situation. So you just look at the next hour. What are we going to do? What does that next hour look like? You know, and then the next one and then the next one. I think it's so hard to be a new mother because there's so much judgment, you know, and there's mm-hmm. so much ideas of what society thinks a new mother should be yeah and I remember during my postpartum period I was having such a hard time that I read the book bringing up Bebe (laughs) the French one yeah Mm -hmm. just to kind of get an idea of like maybe how other people do it yes and in France you know granted the government pays for it but there is you know daycares for like a one-year-old baby and French mothers yeah three months I think even French French mothers bring their babies to daycare and leave the baby there. And I would have such issues because I really wanted to give my baby away somewhere for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Because it's so hard. Yeah. It's, and it's, I felt guilt about it too mm, for feeling yeah. that. 
no, that's not, you know, I think it's very, we're not used to having somebody's physical needs be so immediate yeah. all the time. And the way that a new a baby needs, especially its mother, is overwhelming to a lot of women um, because we're not used to it. We are not used to being occupied the entire time, you know, and then if you have multiple children, you're positively touched out at the end of the day. You do not want anybody touching you because you've had people on you the entire day. And that's really something that's difficult for us because we're not. And so that to make, to ease that transition, it's important for the mother to be able to take, be able to take a breath and step away for a little while, you know. And collect yourself. Or even like a shower. Yeah. You know, it's so hard to get into clean clothes. Yeah, any time alone is pretty precious. Um, yeah, and it's okay. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. And, then you know, every mother's needs are different, you know. But if you have a mother who is really, really struggling with that and she needs to have a couple of hours just to not lose her mind, you know, then that's what she needs. That's what she gets. What would you recommend for sleep for the new mother or the new parent? It's so hard. <laughs> I mean, the um, American Academy of Pediatrics is now recommending room sharing for at least the first six months. Mm -hmm. In Canada, they recommend a year. And I think in Europe, it's a year as well, just because it's actually proven to reduce the incident of sudden infant death syndrome to have the baby in the same room as you. So your breathing helps them breathe. Mm -hmm. Hearing you breathe um, helps them adjust their breathing. So it's actually, so I definitely recommend having the baby in the same room. And then you just need to see, you know, there's really not a blanket recommendation that I can give. It's, you need to look at each situation individually and make decisions that work. And sometimes, you know, that's that's your choice and sometimes that's the right decision, even if it's not, you know. Yeah. This you know, the standardized way. Yes, exactly. You know? Exactly. Because I really hated breastfeeding. <laughs> you know, and it's hard to say it out loud, but yeah. I'm saying it out loud. You well, know? it can be very difficult, especially yeah. initially. No one tells you how difficult it's gonna yeah. be. Yeah. And those those initial hurdles, if you have no support, they can become insurmountable pretty quickly. What advice would you give to new mothers? Oh, my gosh. I would say seek out help. Seek out support. Make sure you're not alone and isolated. And, you know, just trust yourself that you are this baby's mother. You are the best mother for this baby. It's you. And that. you're going to be okay. And sometimes if you just survive a day. Yes. You've done it. <laughs> you have done it. You have done it. You've taken a shower. Everybody yeah. got, everybody ate. People are wearing sort of clean clothes. Exactly. The house is, you know, okay. You're fine. You're fine. And seriously, we have the rest of our lives with them. Yes. Yes, we do. You know? Yes, we do. If you feel like you didn't do it too great right now, don't worry. You have tomorrow. It gets very interesting. Exactly. That's for sure. Yeah. But to each 
her or his own, you know? Yeah. And that's okay. And the most important thing is to establish that. That bond, that love and relationship that's established between those people is really the most important objective. Is to get the parents to love their baby. That's the that that is yeah. the most important objective to bond with the baby yeah. to be confident in handling because that relationship lasts a lifetime. Yeah. And it's like you're laying the foundation for a relationship for the rest of your life. Yes. And sometimes yeah. you have to get away to love your baby more. Sometimes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Hannah, for a beautiful conversation. Thank you. You're very welcome. It was fun to chat with you, Michelle. Thanks for listening to Lost or Found. Please subscribe and follow Dr. Michelle Choi on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. For more information, visit our website, drlostorfound.com.